Session 12, Means of Grace and Sacraments Introduction Wesley By means of grace, I understand outward signs, words, or actions ordained by God to be ordinary channels whereby He might convey to persons provenient, justifying, or sanctifying grace. All who desire the grace of God are to wait for it in the means that He has given. Works, Jackson Edition, Volume 5, 187 Wesley's Means of Grace At the very heart of Wesley's understanding of spiritual formation, of how a Christian grows, is his concept of the means of grace. He writes, By means of grace, I understand outward signs, words, or actions ordained by God to be ordinary channels whereby he might convey to persons provenient, justifying, or sanctifying grace. All who desire the grace of God are to wait for it in the means that he has given. The means of grace are the ways in which we open ourselves to experience God's love and grace in our lives. Too often, we do activities such as reading our Bibles or praying because by doing them we prove to God our willingness to obey, or worse yet, as a work by which we earn God's favor. Wesley's understanding takes us beyond sheer obedience or any type of works righteousness. To be perfectly clear, Wesley strongly stated, The use of the means will never atone for one sin. That is the blood of Christ alone. Works, Jackson Edition, Volume 5, 189 How do we receive the benefits of Christ's atonement? Wesley is clear by attending to the means. Wesley has placed certain activities into three categories. General means of grace First are the general means of grace. In this list, he includes keeping the commandments, denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and exercising the presence of God. By denying ourselves, Wesley believed we could draw closer to God when distractions are willingly set aside. By taking up our cross, Wesley believed we could also draw closer to God and His purposes by doing things that go against our natural inclinations. Exercising the presence of God is the practice of being conscious of God throughout the day. Each of these general means opens up to the grace of God. Instituted or particular means of grace By the instituted or particular means of grace, Wesley refers to those means Christ himself admonishes his disciples to participate in, such as prayer, searching the scriptures, the Lord's Supper, fasting, and Christian conference, by which Wesley meant Christian conversation. As Christians speak about God together, grace is poured out upon the participants in such conversation. Prudential means of grace The prudential means of grace have been developed over time, having been recognized as wise actions in the life of growth in grace. These include class meetings, small groups, prayer meetings, covenant and watch night services, love feasts, a type of testimony service, visiting the sick, doing all the good one can, and reading devotional classics. Baptism Infant Baptism The Church of the Nazarene has always affirmed infant baptism, even though most members do not realize this. It is up to the parents to decide whether to dedicate or baptize their infant child. Infant baptism comes from our Methodist roots and the theology of John Wesley. When we baptize children, we are acknowledging together several important characteristics of God. First of all, we proclaim together our common belief in the reality of God's provenient grace. 
while a dedication focuses on the parent's commitment to the child. A baptism focuses on God's commitment to the child, and thus is one of the few places where the Church celebrates together the doctrine of provenient grace. Provenient grace is the grace that makes the infant a part of the body of Christ. It is the grace that keeps him or her safe in God's loving arms if anything were to happen to him or her. And it is the grace that will draw him or her to a place of personal commitment to Jesus Christ when he or she gets older, if he or she responds. It is grace given by the Holy Spirit, who we believe will mysteriously work in his or her life. In presenting a child for baptism, the parents are making a commitment before the people of God to do everything in their power to guide and nurture their child spiritually. Even more, we acknowledge God Himself is committed to the child in deep and lasting ways, in ways beyond what we could ask or imagine. We believe baptism as a sign of the new covenant is a sign of God's promises even to the child, as circumcision was a sign of God's covenant in the Old Testament. We believe God owns the child as his own. Baptism is a sacrament, and we recognize as a denomination the very sacredness of this event as we acknowledge the sacredness of life. Believer Baptism The Church of the Nazarene also affirms adult or believer's baptism. This would have been rare in Wesley's context, because nearly every British citizen would have been baptized as an infant into the Church of England. It is thus up to scholars, such as Rob Staples, to develop a Wesleyan understanding of adult baptism. Staples lists five different meanings the symbol of baptism elicits. Pages 119 through 160. 1. Bearing the mark of Christ. The Christian is to wear the mark of Christ's purity. 2. Dying the death of Christ. The symbol, particularly when the mode of immersion is used, represents a burial beneath the water that signifies death to sin. 3. Living the life of Christ. Coming out of the water symbolizes our participation in Christ's resurrection and that, having our sins buried, frees us to live a new life as a new creation in Christ. 4. Receiving the Spirit of Christ. Just as the Spirit was present at Christ's own baptism, we affirm the Spirit is present in our baptism. As Paul says in Romans, all who are in Christ have received the Spirit of Christ. Baptism, being a symbol of our life in Christ, is also symbolic, therefore, of the Spirit's presence. 5. Becoming a part of the body of Christ from the very earliest Christian liturgies, we realize baptism was seen as a transition point of the catechumen into full membership in the Church. Eucharist Wesley had a very high estimation of the Lord's Supper. It will be easier to discuss his position by outlining the classical Eucharistic interpretations. Transubstantiation This theory is most often associated with Roman Catholicism. It is the belief the bread and wine actually become the body and blood of Christ. When the priest says the prayer of consecration, there is a change in the essence of the elements, even though they may still appear as bread and wine. Consubstantiation This theory is most often associated with Martin Luther. It is similar to transubstantiation in that Christ's body and blood are literally present in the bread and wine. The difference is the essence of the elements also remains bread and wine while being body and blood. Spiritual Presence This theory is most often associated with John Calvin. 
Calvin did not believe there was a change in the elements, but that Christ truly comes into the bread and wine in a spiritual sense. Memorialist This theory is most often associated with Ulrich Zwingli, a reformer contemporary with Calvin and Luther. This theory affirms the Lord's Supper is to be taken as a memorial of the death of Christ, as a remembrance of his self-sacrifice for us. There is no sense that Christ participates in the actual elements. Most scholars agree Wesley's position falls between the concept of spiritual presence and the memorialist position, with some interpreters of Wesley's position placing it extremely close to Calvin's. The difference between Wesley and Calvin on the issue is that it is not only Christ's presence that is experienced, as Calvin stressed, but also the presence of the whole trinity in the whole act of the Eucharistic meal. Wesley's position focuses on the Eucharist as a means of grace. Here are some of Wesley's words. The Lord's Supper was ordained by God to be a means of conveying either provenient, justifying, or sanctifying and preserving grace, according to the necessity of the people. The persons for whom it was ordained are all those who know and feel that they want the grace of God, either to restrain them from sin, or to show their sins forgiven, or to renew their souls in the image of God, or to enter into the presence of God in communion with Him. No preparation is necessary other than a desire to receive whatsoever grace God pleases to give. No fitness is required other than a sense of our state, of our utter sinfulness and helplessness apart from Christ. Therefore, if you want such grace as God pleases to give to you, draw near in faith and find comfort and strength. Rob Staples stresses the Eucharist as a means particularly of sanctifying grace, and in doing so reminds us there is an integral connection between the means of grace and growth in our sanctification in Wesley's thought. It is impossible to grow in our Christian walk without attending to the means of grace in general. For Wesley, though, the Eucharist was the most important means, and to neglect it was unthinkable. Duty of Constant Communion Again, Rob Staples helps interpret the significance of the Eucharist by examining the meaning of the symbol. The Eucharist is a symbol of Thanksgiving to the Father Commemoration of Christ Self-sacrifice or consecration Fellowship and unity of the faithful The promise of the coming kingdom Staples, pages 228-249 through 249. According to Wesley If, therefore, we have any regard for the plain command of Christ, if we desire the pardon of our sins, if we wish for strength to believe, to love, and obey God, then we should neglect no opportunity of receiving the Lord's Supper. Sermon, The Duty of Constant Communion, Outler, page 336. Application 1. Discuss your understanding of the different means of grace and the part they play in your life. Two. Write a reflection paper on the Wesleyan understanding of infant and adult baptism. 3. Write your understanding of Eucharist. Include personal insights and feelings about the importance of this sacrament.